It's Dane and Nick for Sports Pack 12. We're old school like Keenan and Kale. Alright, baby, you're back. Dane and Nick, still untitled, episode, podcast two. Let's get to it. If you know why you're here, we got some Pac-12 football. We got really whatever comes to my mind. Dane is, you know, the man, factual, keeps us on track here. I'll cover the games too because I guess that's why you're listening. But here we are, Pac-12, first thoughts of the week. Obviously, Utah winning a big game in Washington. Huge win for their program. It's really kind of the win they've needed, honestly. They've, they've been elite. They made the conference championship last year. But they've not taken that next step to kind of beat the best. And even though UW's struggling this year, that was a huge win for them. I mean, UW's still probably one of the most talented teams conference. Definitely one of the most talented teams conference. So they got over that hump, moved on. We'll, we'll get into a little bit more details later, but huge for huge for the Utes. Um, across, the, across the conference, across the pond, you got Oregon and USC. Uh, Oregon dominated. Uh, yeah, <laughs> what else do you want me to say? Oregon ran them. Uh, but really, uh, this game was more about what USC kind of didn't do. USC made a couple of huge mistakes, including uh, the main one being allowing a kick return touchdown to end the half. I mean, you can't do that against a team the caliber of Oregon. That just, yeah, come on. Like, that's how you lose games right there. So, Clay Helton, get your boys a little bit more prepared. What else is there to it? Again, we'll drive into, drop into more details around that. You got some other notable games on the conference. Uh, UCLA apparently is good again. Um, they're 4-2 and two in conference now. Not really sure how that happened, but hey, man, Chip Kelly's got the ball rolling. Um, Colorado... Ouch, just ow, ugh, ugh. Colorado, man. Well, Mel Tucker, man, head coach Mel Tucker, you just figure it out. You got a senior quarterback. You have one of the most dangerous wideouts in the country. You have a good skill position players all over the field. Just, yeah, just ugh, Colorado, man, just not looking good. And Oregon State, baby, they are back. The Beavers are back. Getting their third conference win, back-to-back conference victories. It. It's great to see, honestly, you know, uh, it's great to see a kind of gutter program finally make the shift. They face Washington next week. They still have Oregon on their schedule, so we're not sure how long this party's going to last, but hey, for right now, enjoy the ride. Oregon State, standing alone, second place in the North. Good for them. Good to see a program kind of changing their fortunes. And the last team we're going to discuss this week, we got the Wildcats, and the Wildcats, um, yeah, they need to kind of figure out what's going on at quarterback between, uh, I believe it's Grant Gunnell and Cleo Tate, and defensively, <laughs> I mean, they might as well call me the coach. You guys can play some defense. Uh, you have the same talent or same level of recruits and talent as other teams in the Pac-12, so defensively, there's something just going wrong with their scheme. But again, we'll drop into more details later. Intro, back. You might get some more raps. You might get some random facts. I don't know, man. I couldn't tell you what I'm going to say next. But let's get to it. Dane. Hit it off. Hit us off. Let's get started on your end of the wheel. All right. So my biggest takeaway from this weekend, obviously, was Oregon winning, Utah winning again. It's the same old story. The teams at the top have been getting it done, and as a result, the college football playoff hopes are still alive and well. I think now that Oregon demolished USC and Utah handled Washington. I think the winner of the Pac-12 championship game is going to make the college football playoff. That's assuming Oregon wins out and Utah wins out. 
and they meet each other in the championship game. I think the winner of that game gets an invite to the college football playoff. I think it's more likely if Oregon wins the championship game that they'll get invited than Utah. Uh, However, I think the Utes have a good enough uh, resume to get in if they went out. Uh, The only thing is their loss at USC. It looks worse and worse sort of each week, except uh, especially with you know, Oregon demolishing uh, USC 56-24. to um, But I do think that they would get an invite if they beat Oregon in the championship game after winning out, um, you know, before that in the regular season. So though that's my biggest takeaway. Uh, Oregon getting it done, Utah getting it done, and I'm going to go out on a limb and say the winner of the Pac-12 championship game gets an invite to the college football playoff, assuming that Oregon and Utah went out in the regular season. Uh, yeah, I think that is going to happen. It sort of depends on other teams in the SEC losing, I feel like, uh, but with Florida going down and Georgia having that loss to, what was it, South Carolina or someone, uh, and then LSU and Alabama playing this week coming up, One of those teams is going to lose. I think Ohio State is going to get in the playoff. Uh, There's going to be at least one team from the SEC. And uh, other than that, I'm not really sure. I think it's up in the air because Oklahoma lost earlier this year that there is a major opportunity for a one-loss Pac-12 team to make the championship or, I mean, the playoffs. And so, yeah, if you're Oregon or a fan of the Pac-12, um you got a great shot, and same with Utah, although I think their chances are not as strong as Oregon's. Uh, I also think Oregon's a superior team, but we'll see how it goes, and hopefully for the good of the Pac-12, Utah and Oregon wins out. We have a massive Pac-12 championship game with a berth in the playoffs on the line, and I think we are heading that way, and uh, it's really good for the conference overall what happened this weekend, so Hopefully it continues. Hopefully Oregon continues to win and Utah continues to win. And that Oregon victory, 56-24 over USC, might be the most impressive win of the year in the conference. Thanks, Dane, for your opening thoughts. So just so you know, again, uh, episode one mentioned it a little bit. My name is Nick Bartlett. I'm 29 years old. I'm from Seattle, Washington. I've been a staff writer at a site uh, for Oregon Sports News for a year plus now. Um, had 30 to 40 articles featured on the Seattle PLI Blogspot, and uh, a lot of other sites have picked up my work as well. Um, I've also been I'm also a senior writer here at Sports Pack 12, the sponsor, founder, whatever you want to call this podcast. So it's kind of my background in sports. I'm also a seventh uh, seventh grade JV slash varsity assistant and head coach at a private school in Seattle. So, you know, I, I like actually like sports and watch sports and like do sporty things, one might say. <laughs> but yeah, so anyway, let's get into the opening uh, week here. So um, biggest game in my eyes, other people would argue Oregon USC is bigger, but I thought Washington Utah was definitely the biggest and most important game. Um, Utah has looked absolutely phenomenal since their uh, early season loss to USC. 
Obviously, they didn't want to be destroyed in the secondary like they were against the Trojans. And they've they've righted those wrongs, man. After three blowout wins in a row, they came back and, and they took over the game against Washington. I mean, down 21 to 13 on the road, Seattle, hostile environment. You've lost them two times, including the loss in the conference championship last year. And uh, you found a way to make a play, man. You get a pick six. Um, and that that kind of it shifted everything, made it 19 to 21. And from that point, Utah wasn't going to look back. This wasn't the same Utes team. Tyler Huntley made every single play on third down. Just watching this game, it was it was incredible. He was looking NFL caliber, third and 12, I'm going to make a completion. Third and 10, I'm going to make a completion. Sacrifice my body for the game-winning touchdown. He did it all. I don't know what his realistic shot of is being at a, a like an elite-level NFL quarterback or even, honestly, getting a chance as a starting job in the NFL, but he is a perfect college signal caller. He's the man. He is he is just such a calm, cool, collected leader, and he showed it and displayed it, and it, it was just beautiful to see. You you don't get to see performances like that every day, not to mention he was on a hobbled leg, calf, knee, whole body, whatever. <laughs> He's hurt, man. He's hurt. But so um, also you can't leave out Zach Moss. Um, when they are down early in the contest, 14-3, and three, he basically took over a drive. Um, took handoff, 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 caught a pass, and eventually uh, took in the end zone. He literally basically did himself the first to get uh, the Utah's first touchdown of the game. Um, but anyway, we're jumping a little out of order here. So uh, Utah's defense was great, as always. Um, they they started off slow, but for once they found their rhythm, it it was done. UW wasn't going anywhere. I wanted to say Miles Gaskin, but uh, so he's gone. He's in the NFL. But uh, Salvon Ahmed really was held in check. Um, Eason just... <laughs> He struggled in the second half against the Utes defense. And, oh, boy, I'll have more on that in a second here. But um, all around, yeah, the Utes uh, defense looked great, as always. Bradley and I, Lee K. Foto up front. Um, I, I'm i not too familiar with the names in the secondary, but they played amazing. They they locked down the UW receivers, and that really proved to be kind of the critical plays in the game. UW couldn't get anything going in the fourth. Utah kept scoring. That's that. Utah gets over the hump. Easy what what should be easy matchups the rest of the way. And, and now with the loss of uh, USC, they are in control of the South. And yeah, man, it's um it's all ahead of them now. The Utes have everything to play for, and they should be really fun to watch on the stretch. Washington, you know what? I'm going to make this simple. A lot of people may not like this, but Jacob Eason's a bust, man. He's not that good. Yes, you heard me right. Jacob Eason is not that good. Yes, dude, he, he's freaking 6'6". He can throw a bullet. Yes, he can do all that cool stuff. He's, you know, like, people get so overwhelmed in the physical attributes and his arm strength that they don't realize he doesn't get the game, man. He makes such bad plays. And, like, dude, UW's 5-4. and four. You can talk about all the new defensive players. The defense isn't playing, like, phenomenal, but they're still a solid Pac-12 defense, like, probably a top-five unit in the conference. And... Easton just every week seems to shoot himself. How'd they lose to Cal? I don't know. How'd they lose to Stanford? I don't know. Oregon, that's understandable. But you're up 21 to 13 at home. Okay, look, you run the ball. If you're going to like, Utah's offense wasn't doing that good. And you throw a pick six off your back foot on a late deep out. Like that's a basic stuff. That's basic. Just no, no, no. And you were recruited to play in SEC country. So if you can't make these reads, you don't deserve the spot. Maybe there's a reason you got beat out by Jake Fromm in Georgia. Maybe there's a reason two Husky quarterbacks transferred upon you being named starter. Because some someone knew something. Maybe 
and this 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 is getting a little ahead of the wheel here. I don't, dude. I don't, what's with me and wheels and points today? I don't know. Whatever. But like, this could be the downfall of Chris Peterson. I am not so sure that they have the cojones to bench Eason. And if he loses to Oregon State next week, I think it becomes obvious. But now, like, everyone's gone. And excuse me, actually, um, the third string quarterback did end up staying. Uh, he he thought about transferring, but he he just he decided to stay last minute. So I wanted to clear that fact up but yeah so it just like we can talk about UW's defense they're good we can talk about Chico McClatcher being fast we can talk about uh wide wide out Chico McClatcher we can talk about running back Savan Ahmed being a good player we can talk about Richard Newton being Richard Newton being a powerful young running back but until Easton makes these plays UW's just not that good and no one around the conference I think like in conference if you're lining up against them you know but man uh Jake Browning was a better quarterback. I'm going to come out and say it. Jake Browning was a better quarterback. And it's quite frankly, not even close until Eason learns to do the little things. He's hurting the dogs and he's hurting them in a big way. This is an elite program who's fallen quickly. And um, if he doesn't get it right against Oregon state, well, <laughs> they should have some fun decisions in Seattle, but let's not focus on Eason. I mean, unless you're a Husky fan, the Utes, they played well, they made the plays they finally got that huge win in Seattle, and they have a chance at the college football playoff. Granted, not a huge one, but the outside shot is still there. It's still realistic, and yeah, let's see what happens going forward. Go Utes. Dogs, uh, let's get it together. All right, guys, so when it comes to this Utah-Washington game, I would listen to what Nick says. He's the one that is covering uh, Washington, also Utah, and he's based there in Seattle, so he has a much greater understanding of the dynamics of the Huskies and is able to give you some better analysis than I am. Also, I was at the U of A Oregon State game, which was on at the same time. And so I did not get to watch this matchup, although I do see, um, you know, Washington started out pretty strong, it feels, it looks like, and then Utah was able to come back, looks like, in the fourth quarter and get it done, which... Um, if you're on the East Coast and you're looking at this box score and you compare it to the box score of when Oregon went up there and won, pretty similar. And for the Utes, that's a good sign. You were able to go into Seattle, which is not an easy place to win by any means. And you may not have won pretty, but you know, you got the job done, which in the end is all that really matters. And if you're an East Coast um, college football playoff committee person, you uh, respect this win. Certainly, it's not a um, the margin of victory is not important here for Utah, and the fact that they went up there on the road um, in probably a hostile environment uh, against a good Washington team, and to come away with a victory is big. I don't think that it can be understated. Um, last week when Oregon did it, uh, we were all talking about how Oregon can make the playoffs because of that. And the exact same thing holds true with Utah. Um, they went up there and, uh, you know, one by five. So you have to put them into the conversation as well. Uh, I think the college football playoff rankings come out this week. It looks like Utah was AP ranked number nine in the, uh, the media poll. And so with that victory at Washington, along with Florida losing, you think they would at least jump up uh, to eight, possibly seven, depending on how the committee views their victories. 
I can't really remember who Utah has beaten in the non-conference season, uh, though they I do remember their loss at USC. Um, and now the fact that Oregon has went and demolished USC uh, in the Coliseum, it, it, that hurts Utah, though I don't think it's fatal. Uh, it definitely is going to be on the minds of the playoff committee when they put out these rankings this week. If I had to guess, Utah was eight. Uh, at the very highest, they're probably seven. Uh, though this victory certainly helps them in their chances. They need to win out, and they need to um, beat Oregon handily in the championship game, the Pac-12 championship game, to really make their major argument to be in the college football playoff. They do only have one loss. And their one loss, if they were to win the Pac-12 championship, uh, was against you know a good a good USC team, not a great one this year. Uh, though, whenever you lose to USC, I don't think you could describe that as a bad loss. Some East Coast uh, pundits may disagree, though I think that is false. Uh, a road loss at USC is not the worst thing, and. Yeah, I mean, if you're Utah, your your hopes are still alive for the college football playoff. And so went out and then beat Oregon in the championship game. That's all you can do. And I think from here on out, you've got to be concerned about your margin of victories. You need statement wins like Oregon had over USC. And uh, to do that, uh, I think you need to play better. Uh, I don't know how well um, Huntley played, though it looks like Zach Moss had a great game with 27 carries, 100 yards. Um so they need to step it up uh, from here on out. Margin of victory is extremely important, especially if they make it to the championship game against Oregon. They need to win by, I want to say, more than 14. Uh, a three-touchdown victory over Oregon in the championship game would get you an invite to the college football playoff if you win out. Um, so that's what you got to do if you're Washington. I mean, this is a bit of a rebuilding year. I had higher hopes for them. I was expecting Jacob Eason to uh, lead them to more victories. It's a bit of a surprise for me considering Washington's recruiting classes over the last several seasons, though it is a rebuilding year. And um, I guess this is not a big surprise, though it is a surprise. I did not expect them to lose against California, and I did not really... Um, expect them to lose to Stanford considering Stanford's injuries at the time the beginning of the year if you told me that Washington lost at Stanford wouldn't be surprised but considering the injuries that Stanford had at that time that was a surprising loss and I think ever since those two losses they've been a bit uh, floundering around and sort of don't have any direction here not sure who they play the rest of the season but uh, they need one more win to get to a bowl game. And, uh, yeah, their recruiting classes are still strong, so I'm not sure if Jacob Eason is going to go pro or not. If I had to guess, the answer is yes. So, And I know that one of their um, highly rated uh, quarterbacks who was in the battle with Eason um, transferred out of the program when Eason was named the starter. So you've got to start thinking about the future out there in Seattle. Who's your quarterback for next year? Uh, I think the defense needs to uh, get a little bit better, and um, yeah, if you're if you're the dogs, uh, kind of a tough season, especially based on what you've been experiencing the last handful of years. 
but uh, all programs have occasional seasons where they need to rebuild even the programs at the top of each conference so I would not be worried about the direction of the program at all and I would be um, having an eye towards next season um, and thinking about who your next quarterback is going to be but for this year uh, you can still get to a good bowl game and um, I think it's important to win whatever bowl game they end up making Uh, and in the meantime you've got to went out. I don't know who's on their schedule, but they need to get it done, and Jacob Eason needs to lead them to more than just six or seven wins. They need to win out their last games, and I think that's important. My man Dane has got the Wildcats on lock, so We'll let him discuss most of the things going on with AZ. He knows Wildcat football. I've said it before. I've said it again. We'll let my man do his thing on that. But I do got some words to say about Oregon State for sure. And as as mentioned in the intro, I'm just very happy to see a team like this start up. Oregon State has been so bad now for the last couple of years. Just, I mean, they won like one conference game last year, maybe one year before. I think they might have actually been held winless, but they may have pulled off one. But either way, they've been looking terrible um, the past couple seasons. And at the beginning of this season, they they start off 0-2 and lost to Hawaii. And Hawaii's a decent program, but when that loss happened, it's like, oh, same old beeves, they're done, write them off. They beat Cal Poly after that, you know, cool, whatever. They're one and two. They beat Cal Poly. Don't, I mean, that's expected. But then as the conference play rolled on, you know, they quietly pulled out a win, quietly pulled out another win. And, you know, entering this matchup, they're two and two. And this was the game where they just handled their business and took care of Arizona. I mean, senior quarterback Jake Luton is seriously quietly putting up, statistically at least, one of the best kind of, excuse me, one of the best stats in conference. He's making big plays. He's he's just leading the team as a six-year senior should. But he, he lost so much the first years. And on top of that, he was constantly injured. This is a kid who could have quit. He could have went on to the real world, been like, I'm done with this, got a nice little cushy job. You know, college quarterback should have something lined up. I mean, especially he seems like a stand-up guy. Obviously, I don't know him, but he's he, he seems like a cool guy. So he could have he left, but he decided to stay in a, quite frank, terrible bottom-feeding program and no matter what happens now, they've turned it around. Oregon State can honestly say they've turned it around. They've won three conference games, and the win against Arizona is just proof of how far they've come. They jumped out early. They kept scoring. They kept scoring. They kept scoring. And um, even though the Wildcats' defense is, well, terrible, uh, Oregon State still, you still just, you play who you play, and you got to do the best you can, and they took advantage. In this game in particular, I'm actually going off on uh, Luton a little bit here just because of his phenomenal season, but in this game in particular, the offensive line and the running back combination was outstanding. Jamar Jefferson rushed for over 100 yards, um, halfback Jamar Jefferson, and halfback Artavis Pierce also rushed for 100 yards, and needless to say, when you have 200-yard rushers in a game, it's going to be easy to win most of those matchups. Um, so hats off to the off- offense line and the running backs for taking advantage of the holes. Um, and uh, the other kind of star player in Oregon State, if you don't follow Beavs football, which quite frankly, it wouldn't shock me. You know, they're very, very, very upstart team, if you can even label them that yet. But uh, wide out Isaiah Hodgins had another great game, another 100-yard performance. And he really is, if you haven't had a chance to see him play, he is one of the Pac-12 treasures. He He's just a great player. He finds ways to get open. Uh, I've said this before. He he kind of is a Doug Baldwin type of receiver. He doesn't like have the same 
athleticism as you know some of the elite you know you see like these guys in the sec just jumping over everyone six seven six eight or even in the pac-12 you got michael Pittman jr just an athletic freak running by jumping over people he doesn't have that so that's that's fine but what he does have is the ability to get open and catch and create after the play if you don't bring him down on first tackle he just somehow gets the extra yard just slips through catches touchdown bang hit me in the red zone bang third down bang so the combination of Jake Luton and Isaiah Hodgins is really what kind of drives this Oregon State team. And what, as odd as it sounds, is what has them currently second in the North Division. Yes, you heard that right. Second in the North Division in an outside shot to actually make a bowl game. Will that happen? I don't know. They have a very difficult stretch of game. Uh, stretch. Wow, that was great English right there. They have a very uh, difficult kind of remaining schedule. They still have Oregon. And uh, there's someone else I'm blanking on here. But they, they have a couple tough games left. So, oh, they face UW next week. So they still have UW and Oregon on their schedule. So winning these matchups could, you know, prove pretty tough. But, hey, man, they compete now. And if you give yourself a chance to win the game, anything can happen. This is just great to see. It's great for the conference. It's great to just, it's just great to see. You, how many times do you want to see great to see, great to see, great to see? Oregon State is doing their thing. Good for them, man. I hope that those kids deserve some victories. Good for them. Have fun. Party it up, kids. Go live your life. Go do your thing, Corvallis. Oh, yeah. I guess Oh yeah. I guess I have to talk about the Wildcats. Um, again, you know, I'll just say defensively, <laughs> dude, come on. Like, they do nothing. They don't stop the run. They don't stop the pass. They get gashed week in, week out. And they need an entirely new scheme, entirely new system, something. Just something you can't get shredded that easy especially at home 49 points and Oregon State is good but it's not like Oregon State is running up 50 points on every team they play and this isn't this is kind of anomaly here um offensively the one main takeaway I have offensively is why are they still doing this two quarterback system either kind of pick your man you have Cleo Tate who's clearly just not, still struggling to read the game, make throws, whatever it is, not finding his rhythm in the offensive system. Ever since his, ever since he kind of lost his mobility a little bit through all the injuries, he's never been the same player. And by pulling him and start or pulling him and putting him back in, you're rattling his confidence. The same thing with Grant Gunnell. Um, you're putting him in, putting him out, putting him in, putting him out. And n- neither of these players are allowing to get a rhythm. This is a lot different than a Utah type situation where they're bringing, um, I'm blanking on his name, where they're bringing that backup court, um, Shelly. And they're bringing Shelly to kind of, and he's like weird, unique running packages. And that's his role in the team. And that's defined. Tyler Huntley knows his spot isn't threatened. This is an entirely different situation. Where in Arizona, it seems like you're just flip flopping quarterbacks. And football is a fast game. You need to make plays now. You don't really have time to get like make mistakes, really, especially at a high level like the Pac-12. And so by flip-flopping these quarterbacks consistently, neither of them can get in a rhythm. You don't know who your leader is. And it's just kind of it's just not the right approach. I'm not really sure why Kevin Summons doing this. You need to make a solid decision and stand by it. Arizona season isn't done yet. They still have won. They still had enough. Uh, they still won enough games at the beginning of the season to be bowl eligible. So if they finish solid, and they do have some winnable games left on their schedule, they can still qualify for a bowl. But they need to get that quarterback situation figured out moving forward. It's not fair to either kid. It's not fair to the rest of the team. They need a clear, definite leader, and that should be the focus heading into next week. Yeah, so, I mean, Oregon State had a great game. Uh, Jake Lawton played fantastic like he's been playing all year. Um, I'm pleasantly surprised with his performance, and I 
I think he has a good sh- uh, chance of making it to the NFL. I, I don't know if he'll get drafted, though if he um, performs at the Combine the way he's been por- uh, performing this season, it's not um, out of this world to think that he may get a fifth or a sixth, maybe fourth round draft pick. And the way he's led this turnaround of the Beavers this season is certainly impressive. And they, I don't know if they can make a bowl game, but they have a chance. So they play against Washington out there in Corvallis, which Washington hasn't been playing fantastic, and Oregon State has. So they could win that game. It's not, um, I wouldn't be terribly shocked, though I would be surprised. Then Arizona State comes to Corvallis. So you've got two home games in a row that are arguably... Uh, at least potentially winnable. Um, the Arizona State game, I think, is more winnable than Washington. And then the Beavers go to Washington State and to Oregon. And so uh, I think you can probably chalk those um, two games up as losses, though you never know. And um, so if you're going to make a bowl game, uh, if you're the Beavers, you got to beat Washington this weekend and Arizona State uh, the following weekend. Uh, I think they can get it done, though it's going to be a tough task. Uh, we will see. The uh, the rebuild this year has been impressive, and it'll be interesting to see who the Beavers have at quarterback next year after Lutton leaves. Uh, for the Wildcats, though, there's not much you can say. I'll keep this as short as possible. all comes down, really, to the performance of the defense. Uh, statistically, one of the worst defenses in the country. The firing of defensive coordinator Marcel Yates seem to have the opposite of the intended effect instead of rallying the team behind Chuck Cecil who's now the defensive coordinator the defense has seemed to given up and um, based on the reports here in Tucson Marcel Yates was very well liked by the defensive uh, players and by the whole team in general he also recruited a lot of the players on defense who did not have any real offers or major offers to other schools so if you think about it you, If you're on the defense, you know that you're one of the statistically the worst defenses in the country. You're a leader who was the one who believed in you, who gave you the best opportunity here at the University of Arizona compared to what you had from other schools. If he's been fired for performance issues, which really comes down to you and not to him, it's got to be a, a really a mental blow and one that you probably are not going to recover from at least this season. So if you're the Wildcats, Chuck Cecil, what I think you need is a wholesale change of the defensive strategy, uh, the formations, the 3-3-5 or the other formations that the Wildcats run on occasions. So I think it's a 4-2-5. needs to be altered, needs to be changed because the Wildcats have been running similar formations for almost the last decade under Rich Rod and now under Kevin Sumlin. The defensive system is roughly the same and the results of that defensive system Apart from 2014, when the Wildcats made the Fiesta Bowl, has been really um, not good. And so if you're Chuck Cecil, you have a bye week here. You have an opportunity to implement some new strategy. And I think you need it because the bottom, we're at the, they're at the rock bottom. And so uh, you never really know what this Wildcat team is going to, what they're going to do, how they're going to perform. J.J. Taylor is obviously a fantastic player who uh, arguably is going to get drafted. And I think he is a redshirt junior, so if he is on his academic progress, he'll be graduating here shortly. 
uh, at the end of this year and so has the opportunity to either go pro or grad transfer, which I think uh, nobody here in Tucson or around the conference would blame him for doing either. And really, he is one of the few bright spots on offense. Um, Grant Gannell has been playing well. He um, should start. I don't understand offensive coordinator Noel Mazzoni's personnel decisions when it comes to that. I don't know if Kevin Sumlin is involved in that at all. But you started Khalil Tate, who brought the Wildcats to two field goals, two straight drives that resulted in field goals. One of them, J.J. Taylor scored a touchdown on the ground, was called back for holding, but still uh, Tate was only ever lead, was only ever able to lead the Wildcats to field goals. And then you put Grant Gannell in, who led the Cats to two touchdown drives in a row. And then you put Khalil Tate back in the game at the end of the second quarter, and he wasn't really able to move the ball, got sacked twice, and the Oregon State Beavers went on a 95-yard touchdown drive with a minute to go uh, to put them up by two or three scores going into halftime. And then Khalil Tate started the second half and went three and out, and Oregon State scored a touchdown on the ensuing possession. So you put Khalil Tate in, and the points swing 14 in favor of the Beavers at the end of the second half there, or at the end of the first half, I mean, in the beginning of the second half. And those are just really head-scratching decisions that don't make any sense. And Noel Mazzoni, I don't know if it's him or Kevin Sumlin making these decisions, but I think it's clear, as I said last week, Grant Gannell should be starting from here on out. And, um, yeah, on defense, there's not much you can say. They're just the, – the defense isn't very good. And no matter, even if the offense can score 45 points in a game, the defense has given up 56 to the Oregon State Beavers. So, uh, yeah, not much you can say. We can move on to some other teams that are, uh, you know, more uh, relevant at this point of the year. If you're the Wildcats, uh, not much you can say about this season, though. The fan base, I can tell you from living here in Tucson, is pretty dissatisfied with the Kevin Sumlin era up to this point. And there is a lot of potential for a seven-game losing streak to end the season here. Arizona plays at Oregon next, then Utah comes to Tucson, and then Arizona plays in Tempe against Arizona State. So they're on a four-game losing streak, and it's entirely possible they could end the year on a seven-game losing streak. So the other uh, big matchup in the Pac-12 this week was a Oregon versus USC down the Coliseum. And uh, USC played solid early, jumped out to an early lead, 10-0, to uh, forced Herbert into an early interception. And it really looked kind of like um, they had had the ball rolling. But uh, as the game went on, uh, Keaton Slovis threw a terrible interception. I mean, I can't say a terrible interception, but he, he, threw, a, he threw a costly interception is probably a better word. Uh, Oregon capitalized, went down the field. Ended up scoring, making it 7-10 and getting themselves right back in the game. So back and forth throughout the first half, a uh, good competitive battle. Um, twenty-one. It looks like it's about to head uh, into halftime. 21-17, you know, you got a good second half coming up. You got a good fight in USC, playing solid, man. But then um, they give up a kick return to end the half. Ouch. Like, you're now down 28-17, and that play, that was it. USC was shocked. You're not going to overcome beating a top 10 team making those kind of mistakes. And sure enough, from that point on, Oregon 
routed them in the second half. It really wasn't close. And uh, for Oregon, it's it's good. I mean, this is going to look good on the, I mean, I don't know, the, what do you want to call it? Like the official point system. Just getting a blowout win on the road against a solid team in USC is going to look good versus if they had a close victory. So moving forward from Oregon, you'd still like to see more. Um, they did capitalize on all the mistakes and found a way to win the game, found a way to make big plays. We were just talking about the consistency of a top-tier football team. They don't have that look quite yet. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. Oregon's still a very, very good football team. Great, great team, in fact. I'm not trying to disrespect what the Ducks are doing. Mario Cristobal's got a nice uh, program building, and they're, they're a top-10 team for sure. But if we're talking college football playoff, top three or four team, Alabama, Clemson-type level, Oregon doesn't have that look yet. Does that mean they can't win and beat these teams? No, that doesn't mean that at all. They can for sure beat it. They have all the pieces. They have a great offensive line, a very solid defense, and a, probably the number or the first quarterback uh, selected in the upcoming NFL draft. So they have all the pieces, but they still need to put it together, play a complete game, and that's that's really should be the goal going forward. Uh, they still have Arizona State on their schedule, which uh, could prove a tough matchup. Co- uh, head coach Herm Edwards of the Sun Devils will always has, have his team ready. And then they finish off the season against Oregon State. And uh, it's a rivalry game in Oregon State's now. I mean, they're not just a bottom-feeding team. They can actually win some games. Oregon should be able to handle them, but way crazier things have happened in rivalry games. So as long as Oregon really focuses on playing um, complete, they should be all right. They want to focus on kind of how uh, the Utes were doing it uh, the past three weeks, just dominating teams, blowing them out, giving them no hope, proving they're the squad, and just getting on with their life, get themselves to the Pac-12 championship, and see what happens uh, around the Pac-12 landscape. They could, Like I said, everything's still ahead of them. So good win for them. You still want to see them play better, but good win. For the Trojans, um, I'm not exactly sure what to make of this. Like, they're they're so good, but yet they're not good. Like certain games, they dominated Utah earlier this season. The receivers took over, and um, just they struggled to beat Colorado the week before, which should have been a warning sign. I mean, it's cool that Pittman Jr. basically made some awesome plays and bailed them out. But now you see these mistakes made by a true freshman quarterback, Keaton Slovis. And granted, he he is a true freshman. I mean, these mistakes are going to happen, but that kickoff return was inexcusable from head coach Clay Helton, from whoever the special teams coaches, that can't happen. That just cannot happen in that situation. Entering this matchup, you had the lead in the South and you were giving yourself a chance to pull off that victory and realistically get the biggest win in a long time. I mean, if gets that one, things are looking really good, but they allowed the kick return. The game got out of hand and, yeah, I mean, that's all there was to it. We could, you can analyze it all you want. That kick return shattered their dreams, their hopes. Spirit broken. Da, da, da. So uh, if you want to get a little bit more technical side of things, uh, Oregon did a good job of limiting Michael Pittman Jr. His stats are really low this game. Uh, it was like a really low yards per catch. I think it was under five yards per uh, reception. Uh, it allowed Amon, uh, Amon Ross St. Brown some room to make some plays, and same with Tyler Vaughns. But they just don't have that next, next level uh, ability like Michael Pittman. So it was good to limit him. They, ha- they held a running back, uh, the freshman Christian, to nothing too big. He'd, he had decent stats, but with lightning speed like him, just controlling him, or um, excuse me, controlling him from the big one is just 
kind of what you need to do. So they didn't allow, you know, like a 40-yard, 50-yard, 60-yard touchdown run, something that really would have gashed them and kind of changed the outlook of the game, one of those momentum swinging plays. And uh, defensively, USC still beat up, so you can't blame them for anything that happened here. They actually did a really good job, um, especially particularly in the first half, you know, stopping Oregon, making them uncomfortable, forcing Herbert into that early interception going forward. So for USC, there really is no clear answer of how they're going to perform going down the stretch. Is this the team that beat um, Utah early in the season, or is this the team that nearly lost to Colorado? Um, that's really where we're at now. And moving forward, it's it's on coach, uh, head coach Clay Helton, true freshman quarterback Keaton Slovis. It's SC, it's Los Angeles. They always have the talent, but now they got to find a way to keep keep flowing, keep winning games. Your season isn't over. Granted, the South title is out of reach now. You probably aren't going to lose again, but you can still win and have a very respectable season and build for the future under a true freshman quarterback. Um, if that's the route you go, obviously JT Daniels uh, should be returning next year barring some injury or transfer or something weird. So, yeah, let's see what happens. And, yeah, um, Trojans, nothing really to say. Let's just see what happens with the Trojans. Tough loss, but kind of expected. And Oregon, huge, huge. Oregon is still in the hunt. They have everything to play for. And those people in Autzen, (laughs) let's get ready. It's getting fun, boys. It's getting fun, ladies and gentlemen. Let's do it. This game can be summed up in the very last play of the game. Oregon handed the ball off. They had their second-string players in. The backup quarterback for Oregon, after handing the ball off to his running back, ran in front of the running back to give him a block and trucked a USC defender. And the running back followed the block and got a first down to end the game. And that is exactly what happened in this game. Oregon demolished the Trojans. And it was not really close. I mean, the beginning of the game, USC went up 10-0. to And then at the end there of the second half, um, there was a, a touchdown on a kickoff return. And that really broke the back of USC. And they did not recover. Um, USC had scored. I think it was a four-point game at the time. Or a, a one-touchdown game at the time. And Oregon returned that uh, kickoff for a touchdown to end the half. And that uh, that broke their back. That that crushed their spirit, and they did not recover. Keaton Slovis uh, threw the ball 57 times, which was a USC record. He also completed the ball 32 times, which also was a USC record. Though he only had 264 yards, and he threw three interceptions. So, and some of those interceptions were terrible throws, uh, just right to the Oregon uh, player. Uh, one of them was returned for a touchdown. Uh, I think there was, there might have even been two. I know there was definitely one that was returned for a touchdown. And then a Justin Herbert, one point in the game, got injured, which was concerning. It was off um, a penalty, a hit below the waist after he threw the ball, uh, which I was concerned. I saw him down. I was, I was like, oh no, this is, this can't happen. Um, but he toughed it out, got back in the game, played well, um, which also. Uh, Makes me think of the backup quarterback there that Oregon has, Tyler uh, Shaw. Shaw, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. <laughs> that kid's good. Uh, I think he's either a redshirt freshman or a freshman or a sophomore or something like that. Uh, he's clearly your future, and that kid's good. That kid is tall, makes the right decisions. Um, I don't think there when he was in, he only threw the ball a couple times, and it was just like dump out on the flats. Um, but if you're Oregon, you're reloaded. 
uh, for next year. Um, but yeah, enough about next year because this season is still wide, uh, wide open for them to make the college football playoff. This was a major statement when this was arguably the biggest win uh, in the conference so far this season. Um, arguably the biggest win, um, even if you count uh, non-conference victories um, over all the schools in the Pac-12. This was the most impressive victory um, that any team in this conference has had this entire season. And, the, I mean, 56-24 to 24 at the Coliseum. That is a blowout. That is a statement victory to the college football committee, to all those people on the East Coast who don't watch Pac-12 football, who think it's a garbage conference, who look down on it while they watch their SEC games all day. You know, this was a major win. This was huge. It cannot be understated what this victory means for the college football playoff chances of the Conference of Champions. Um, On some level, this victory that Oregon had hurt Utah because Utah lost to USC and Oregon just crushed USC. So it's tough for Utah, the margin of this victory, but this was massive for the Oregon Ducks. And like I said previously, the Oregon Ducks, I think, are the superior team and they need to win out and um, Utah needs to win out. And that game, um, like I said earlier, could determine uh, who gets invited to the college football playoff out of the uh, Pac-12 conference. And if you're Oregon, um, yeah, you you need to you need to crush Utah similar to this. Well, you don't need to crush Utah similar to this, but you need to you need to beat Utah comfortably in the championship game. I think a 14 point victory um, would probably get it done, but um, that might be looking a little too far ahead. Though I can't help but focus on the Pac-12 championship game um, potential with Utah and Oregon. If you listened to our episode last week, I always I, I also mentioned that. Um, and I will always mention that for the remainder of the games, as long as Oregon keeps winning and Utah keeps winning, because what what the Oregon Ducks did today can't be understated. Um, Fifty six to twenty four against USC. USC is not a terrible team. They're not they're not great this year, but they're they're not bad. Um, they're good. That's a good team that the Oregon Ducks just crushed. It's a true road game. Uh, Justin Herbert played fantastic. Twenty one for twenty six. Uh, three touchdowns. There was an interception, um, which was a shock, um, to be honest. I, I didn't see it. Uh, I caught the game right at the start of the uh, or end of the first quarter. Um, but yeah, Justin Herbert played great. I mean, um, only five incompletions. That that's getting it done. Um, and yeah, other than that, uh, really, if you're USC, I don't know what you can say other than. Um, it's probably the end of the tenure for Clay Helton. There's a lot of rumors that um, Urban Meyer is going to be taking that job, and they're probably going to wait to the end of the season. But if I had to guess, this is the last season for Clay Helton. And I think for the conference, that's actually a good thing. Um, if you are not um, if you're an unbiased Pac-12 football fan, you want USC to be the strongest program that they can be. You also want Utah, Washington, and Oregon, and Arizona State to be, and a couple other teams too, to be the strongest, Washington State obviously, to be the strongest teams that they can be. And when you have strong teams in the conference, it's better for the conference's image, which um, helps with recruiting at all the schools. 
because you can attract better players who want to play in a good conference. And um, this victory here goes a long way um, in helping that to occur and on many different fronts, not only Oregon's victory, margin of victory, what it means to the college football playoff committee, but I think this was the final nail in the coffin for Clay Helton's tenure at USC. And if the rumors are true, Urban Meyer is going to be there uh, next season, and um, which is really good for the conference. So all around, this was a great um, outcome for the conference. If you're USC, obviously not, though um, I think USC, you know, they're not going to go anywhere. They're not going to get, I mean, this might be the worst that they're going to be in several years, depending on if they um, go with Urban Meyer next season. This could be a real turning point in the program. Um, I know it's a terrible loss, and it's probably an embarrassing loss for that for the fan base there, um, though you got to look at the positives here and what it could mean for your future. You are an elite program there at USC, and one or two bad seasons is not going to change that. The tradition there is excellent. Uh, the alumni support there with all the players that have went through there um, and gone on to great things, not only in the NFL, but in college as well. Um, you know, they're not going to go anywhere. You're not, I wouldn't worry too much about your future. Um, although it's clearly time to move on from Clay Helton. Uh, but yeah, for Oregon though, you know, fantastic performance, great, um, great outcome. Looks awesome for the college football, uh, committee. And I really believe Oregon is going to win out and will represent the PAC 12 in the college football playoff. Uh, it'll be interesting to see this week where they are ranked in the first college football uh, playoff rankings. The committee uh, does their rankings this week for the first time. So it'll be interesting to see where they are. If I had to guess, their highest is potentially a five. Uh, I don't think they'll be four, um, though the lowest that I expect them is six. Um, so if I had to guess, they're going to be five, though six is also possible. But yeah, um, great performance for the Ducks got to have a lot of hope um, if you're a Duck fan right now, and you just got to uh, continue doing what you're doing. The margin of victory that you have from here on out will be extremely important. You need to continue to have these massive margin of victory. That's really what the East Coast um, committee members want to see. Uh, they want to see you dominate, perform well, and I truly believe that they will be able to do that and will represent the... Pac-12 in the college football playoff. All right, we made it to the last game of the week. We are still here. You're still here. I think I haven't made a caffeine reference. Let's get some coffee going. Let's keep it, you know, it's a work week. Let's get to it. Grind it out. Relax, balance. Do what you got to do, man. I don't care. Thanks for listening. I still have not figured out what you do with the podcast. Is it like, subscribe, or just, is it a plain old listen? So anyway, we're going to get back to UCLA versus Colorado. Um, kind of probably the most, uh, I don't know. I guess a lot of people do care about UCLA football, but it wasn't an, a game on the national radar for sure. But either way, there's some interesting developments in this game. And UCLA is now controls their own destiny to win the South. They're four and five overall, 
but they're still 4-2 in conference, and they still face Utah later this year um, down in Salt Lake City. So if UCLA can win that game, they can actually still win the South in represent or excuse me or, and make the Pac-12 championship what a amazing turnaround I mean they they look dead to rights early in the season and something's just clicked the main thing is Chip Kelly's ground game and offensive um, system is kind of starting to work Joshua Kelly is consistently putting up big stats getting a couple touchdowns each game and 100 yards uh, halfback Joshua Kelly he's looking good solid player um, the biggest improvement, though, is definitely uh, quarterback Dorian Thompson-Robinson. At the beginning of the season, he still looked young and inexperienced and made vital mistakes. And just, you know, I was laughing at him last week, but there's nothing to laugh at now. He had like a 45-yard touchdown strike in this game. He got UCLA out to a 17-0 lead, and they were able to hold on for the victory. And this is a good development for the sophomore quarterback. Um, UCLA football, man, I mean, they're 4-2 and two in conference. It's it's just so deceiving with the 4-5 and five record. Like, wow, they they can really do this thing, and that's just that's just shocking. That's hard to really kind of grasp. On the other side of the ball, uh, defensively, UCLA really held Lavisca Chenault Jr. Um, basically in check. He, I think he had like only like eighteen yards. <laughs> that it's kind of even weird to say. Um, so yeah, the star receiver of Colorado really didn't do much, and that's a credit to whatever the defensive coordinator called told him in check is virtually impossible he's battling some injuries yes but he's put a big stats with these injuries on other teams so for ucla this is just a huge win a huge win i mean they've kept the ball rolling and let's see what happens <laughs> ucla this is a team that was 0-3 and lost like san diego state or something I don't, I don't even know if that's right they lost to someone who they should have not lost to that's for darn sure at the beginning of the season and now they have four out of six conference victories good good for them let's see what happens okay dude i've said let's see what happens 18 times this podcast we're moving on to the next team good for you ucla and on the other side of the coin here, Colorado really, I don't think they ever recovered from that loss um, at home against USC next week. I still think the the decision of Mel Tucker not to go for it against the Trojans lingered in the head, and it showed by, I mean, falling by in 17-0. You're not going to spot a team 17 points with Colorado's talent level and come back. Um, Tony Brown had a good day receiving. Uh, Steven Montez was all right. Didn't, I mean, he didn't really have a great game or a bad game. He just kind of did his thing. And the bottom line is when LaVisca Chenault Jr. is not basically carrying the offense, Colorado struggles to move the ball, and that proved true again in this matchup. I'm not sure, again, like like I said with UCLA, I'm not sure if he's injured or if UCLA just had a great scheme on him. Whatever it was, taking him out was huge. Um, and so for Colorado now, they're at the bottom of the conference, and this is a team that beat Nebraska earlier in the year and started off the season winning three out of four games. Granted, uh, Mel Tucker is a first-year head coach, but their defense is starting to fall apart. They have allowed 30-plus points in a bunch of matchups in a row now. And just they they don't really have an identity, to be quite frank. Um, they can run the ball kind of decent. They can move the ball through there kind of decent. They have skill players all, all throughout the field, but the consistency is lacking. The defense just isn't there yet. Thumb and Arizona are probably the two worst defenses in the conference. Um, Arizona's a little bit less understandable. Colorado just really doesn't have the talent level to complete 
or to compete in this conference on the defensive end. Hopefully they'll be able to get some new recruits in the offseason and see what happens there. But just they're undersized. They don't they don't have a chance really. So respect those kids for playing their heart out. That's just one of those situations where show respect. Football's a physical game. They're facing some monsters at these big twelve Pac twelve schools and they're still out there trying. So gotta show them some love. But it is still a competitive sport. Colorado's find themselves pretty much last in the South and they're gonna need to figure something out going forward. Bottom line is they need to get something offensively throughout besides for LaVisca Chenault. You have enough other receivers in a Nixon and a Brown to make plays. And uh, your halfback, who I'm blanking on the name, is a very solid player himself. So let's just let's just figure it out. Um, oh, got a, got a shout-out. Uh, senior quarterback Steven Montez for Colorado did tie the all-time Colorado uh, record for uh, passing touchdowns in a career. Um, so good for him. He's going to break that and be the Colorado. He sh- or I should say he probably will break that in one of the next games here and uh, be the all-time uh, pa- uh, touchdown pass leader in Colorado history. So good for him. And, yeah, just um, UCLA, great, great performance. Um, I, I, I really can't believe I'm saying this, but seriously, everything ahead of them, that's just, wow. What, what the heck, man? In Colorado, uh, yeah, just figure something out. Like, you're not – you're really just not playing up to your level. You have such a talented offense that you could win some games in this conference. And something needs to be figured out. I know he's a first-year head coach, so I'm being a little harsh on him. So I'll give it time. First year, you know, this could be expected. But if the same, if the same kind of defensive performances and the offense inconsistency leaks into next season, something needs to immediately be changed. So the final game, UCLA-Colorado. UCLA pretty much handled them the entire game. DTR is playing fantastic, as he has been the last few games. And the crazy thing about UCLA's season is they could win out and they would represent the South in the Pac-12 championship because they still have Utah and USC. Or, I'm sorry, yeah, USC. That's right, at the end of the year, USC. Um... They have both of those teams on their schedule. And so if they beat Utah and USC, they would own the tiebreaker over both of them. And they would be your South champions, <laughs> which is a shock. That is unbelievable. That That is an actual possibility. Although uh, they've been playing great recently. I mean, really great since uh, DTR uh, came back from his injury. They have uh, really found their uh, their mojo, and they're playing great out there. And I really um, have a lot of hope for them next season. Um, DTR is a sophomore, so they got at least two more seasons out of him. Um, it'll be interesting to see their recruiting classes. I don't think they're having a great one so far um, under Chip Kelly. Yeah, so that needs to get fixed. But... Um, on the actual, you know, play on the field this season, it's improving, and it's a good sign. And um, we'll see if they can beat USC at the end of the year. There, it's always a good, uh, a great game to watch. As you know, uh, somebody who doesn't have a dog in that race, um, always good to watch uh, USC UCLA uh, battle. So we'll see how that ends up. And if you're Colorado, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's not much you can really say. It's, uh, yeah, it's tough. I don't know. I don't know what happened to them. I don't know why they started off strong and have fizzled. Um, LaVisca Chenault, 
didn't really play that much. Uh, didn't get that much catches uh, in this game, which makes me think that his injury is still not fully fully healed, or maybe he got a new type of injury, um, something like that. You never know. And then, um, yeah, really, if you're them, you got to look towards next season already. Your recruiting class that you're building uh, and how you can perform, translate that uh, recruiting class into a solid season next year. All right, your boy's getting tired here. It's uh, I watched the Seahawks today. Watched some Pac-12 games yesterday. Watched the Nate Diaz fight last night. Why you gotta stop that? I know he's bleeding, but Diaz fights forever. Okay, okay, okay. I know it's Pac-12. Sorry, we'll stick to that. So your boy's getting tired. Thanks for tuning in. Some closing thoughts on the week. Uh, you know, I always make these quick. You, you heard me ramble long enough. My boy Dane's got the facts. Let him close this out. He's got this. But um, basically. Pac-12 still has everything to play for in Utah and Oregon. Biggest win of the week was definitely goes to Utah. Huge win for them. I mean, uh, huge. Just they they got over the hump. Oregon way to dominate, take advantage of the mistakes against USC. But you will need to play better if you want to expect to qualify and or win games in the college football playoff. Oregon State, good for you guys getting on the board. Or getting on the board, excuse me. I told you, man, we're getting sleepy. Getting your third conference win, really looking like a program on the rise. Um, great job, head coach Jonathan Smith. Great to see what's happening in Corvallis. And UCLA and Chip Kelly, um, he won a lot at Oregon. And maybe, maybe, just maybe, they're 4-2 in conference now. He can actually grab a South title this year. We're not talking next year. We're talking this year. Um, to the losing teams, Sorry, y'all, you lost. I'm not going to spend that much time on y'all. You got to win if you want to get in the closing segment. Come on now. You know better than that. You know better than that. But all right, Dane, take us out, buddy. Yeah, so closing thoughts. A Pac-12 team is going to make the college football playoff, and it's going to be Oregon. But um, Utah also has a chance, though their chances aren't as good. Both of these statements are assuming that Oregon and Utah went out and meet in the championship game. And that championship game is not close. Either Utah wins comfortably or Oregon wins comfortably. Assuming all those facts, which is a lot of assumptions, the Pac-12 will be represented in the college football playoff. If your team is not doing so well at this point of the season, uh, it's time to put aside uh, biases and root for Oregon and Utah and to represent the conference and that's really big for recruiting for all the schools here uh, a team in the college football playoff is more important um, than anything really uh, for recruiting at this point it'll attract recruits at all schools um, it'll have a domino effect on the image of the conference and yeah that's where we're at this point of the season I like Oregon I like what they're doing Utah is also a very good program the Pac-12 championship game hopefully is going to be between them um, and it'll be a wonderful game to watch and the winner is going to go to the college football playoff.